one and all, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh my goodness, I'm ready for another fantastic edition of the Logan Blackman Show. But before we get into what we're going to get into today, got to go over some housekeeping items first. We want to tell you to go make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Jeez. Instagram is Blackman Logan, and the show's accounts the Logan Blackman Show 1. Go like the Facebook page to search Logan Blackman Show. It should pop up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Same thing there, but make sure you subscribe instead of like it. Maybe, I, I can you like a YouTube channel? I don't know. Maybe the YouTube, because they took away the dislike button. So maybe they've added like buttons other places. Maybe you can just like YouTube channels now without actually following them. Because you can do that on Facebook. Because when you have a page, you can like it, but don't follow it, or follow it, but don't like it. I, I don't know how this stuff works now. But the main thing, of course, make sure you're following The Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because you're listening to it right now. If you're not following it, that's not very nice. It's not very trill of you. You should go and do that. And while you're on the Apple Podcast account, if you're on that anyways, make sure you give it a rating out of five. I would greatly appreciate it. We have 13 rankings right now, or ratings right now. So thank you to everybody that has left a rating on The Logan Blackman Show. Let's keep it up. And let's get into some stellar content here on the Logan Blackman Show. And this weekend is Conference Championship Weekend in college football. Oh boy, it's Conference Championship Weekend and I am nervous. I am very nervous because it is the Iowa Hawkeyes. They are taking on the Michigan Wolverines, a Michigan Wolverine team that just dispatched Ohio State Buckeyes fairly easily this past Saturday. The first time they've beaten the Buckeyes since 2011? It's either 2011 or eight years ago. I can't remember. I know that the math doesn't, wait, does it? No, math doesn't equal each other, but it's one or the other. Because I feel like I've seen both of them. I don't know if I'm right or wrong about that, so don't quote me on that, please. But goodness gracious, Iowa and Michigan. Iowa's second trip to the Big Ten championship game. Michigan's first. And Iowa, you know, needed some help along the way. They needed a win from Minnesota to beat Wisconsin. And after getting absolutely shit-stomped by the Badgers, this is the first and only and probably last time any Iowa fan will actually ever cheer or openly say they will cheer for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Because I don't know if you know this about me, if I had to do a tier list of my least favorite teams in college football, number one is Nebraska, easily number one. Number two is Minnesota. I despise the Golden Gophers. And yet, though I hate them more than Wisconsin, I had to cheer for Minnesota because if Wisconsin won, they would have been co-champs with the Iowa Hawkeyes. But Wisconsin still would have gone to the Big Ten Championship because of the fact they slaughtered Iowa a few months or about a month ago. So you needed that. <laughs> you needed Minnesota to win despite your previous loyalties and a hatred towards the Gophers, you had to cheer for them on Saturday. And they came through. They came through. I was kind of worried that it was going to be one of those situations like what we saw with the Eagles last year, where you had the Eagles taking on the Washington football team last game of the year. The Giants went 6-10. and 10. Washington was 6-9 and nine at the time, LOL, and then needed a win against Philly to make the playoffs. If the Washington football team had lost, the Giants would have made it in the playoffs. And this was the famous game, remember, when Doug Peterson benched Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld? Remember that? And Giants people on Twitter were like, oh, man, they must hate us more than they hate them. And it's like, screw you guys. First off, you went 6-10. and 10, Didn't deserve to make the playoffs anyways. 
Second, how the hell can you be mad? Again, you went 6 and 10. <laughs> now, I can understand somewhat frustrating, somewhat frustrations there. You might not have made the playoffs, but you had a top 11 draft pick. You picked 11th in the draft before trading back, just like Kadarius Toney, which was a fine pick, by the way. It might not have been Devontae Smith, the receiver that was reported that they wanted, but Kadarius Toney, awesome pick. I like Kadarius Toney quite a bit. But that was kind of the similar situation there, except the fact that Iowa was not, what, 6-6 six and six going into that game? Like, Iowa was 10-2 and two and had some very nice wins at the start of the season, but at the end of it, it's kind of like, oh, well, Iowa beat no currently ranked teams or something like that. Because, you know, Iowa State shit the bed, Indiana shit the bed. Not Iowa, Indiana more so, because they, they won two games and they were ranked 17th preseason. Iowa State... More of the fact that they were supposed to be really good, and everybody was there. It was their uh, playoff dark horse was Iowa State. They went seven and five. That's not really shitting the bed. It's a little harsh because they have some very nice players, and I like a lot of the players Iowa State has. Like Brees Hall, he was just named Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year, even though Pro Football Focus ranked him <laughs> Big Twelve All Third Team Big Twelve. So uh, yeah, this is the pro- this is one of those issues I have again with Pro Football Focus. I love their in depth stats that they do. Where it's like, they have allowed this many sacks on this many pass-blocking plays. Or something like that. Like, when you're look, when you're scouting off the linemen for the draft, like, namely this year. You got, like, Char- Charles Cross from Mississippi State, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, uh, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. We're just talking about the tackles here. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer. They will go in-depth and go, this is how many sacks this dude allowed versus who. I don't really care about their ratings. The ratings don't really affect me because I kind of threw away their ratings when they said Duck Hodges. Remember him? I don't know if he's in the NFL anymore. But when the Bills played the Steelers a few years ago, they said the Steelers are going to win because they had the better quarterback. And no, I know what you're thinking. Logan, they must have had Nathan Peterman playing. Uh, no, it was Josh Allen, you know, guy that came second in the MVP race last year and is currently have posting similar numbers at this point to what he did at that point last year. But Duck Hodges is the better quarterback. So that's kind of where I stopped going, okay, okay. Uh, we're going to stop listening to their opinions and just going off the stats that they provide. Not this guy's a 93.6 rating or whatever the ratings are. Because then you got a guy like Brees Hall makes third team all Big 12. Third team? This dude just broke the record for most game, most consecutive games with at least one touchdown. A record that's older than my parents. And we're talking about <laughs> he's third team I can maybe understand second team you would have to convince me a little bit but I could kind of understand that third team is asinine and to me I'm not even an Iowa State fan you've listened to me numerous times you should know that by now I do not like the Cyclones they don't bug me as much as like Nebraska and Minnesota Wisconsin do and I don't hate them as much as they as those teams but I don't like Iowa State by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) I would say though that going to William Penn and you and I kind of softened my hatred towards Iowa State because at William Penn, we were playing on Saturday, so we didn't really have a chance to watch a lot of college football. So when I was at Penn, I think my, I don't even want to call it at, or because I always loved the NFL. I love the teams. I don't love the people that run it, okay? <laughs> I love the teams. And that kind of grew my love for the NFL, the teams, because of the fact we couldn't watch college football. And then at you and I, Sundays were reserved for recovery day and football. Saturdays, I was either going to a U&I football game 
Or at William Penn, I was going to William Penn football game to play or stand on the sidelines. <laughs> mostly, mostly the latter, but we're not going to talk about that right now. So I didn't watch a lot of Iowa football, and I think my not, I guess, yeah, I guess my love for Iowa has kind of like I'm not as passionate about Iowa as I once was. Like I, when I was younger, I could miss an Iowa football game and be it would ruin my week, maybe ruin my month. I could not, I had to go at the start of the game. Cannot miss a single second of Iowa football. And this is including the years where they had Jake Christensen in the 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight year with Jake Christ- with uh, James Vandenberg. Like, they were bad teams back then. Way worse than what they are right now. But I could go on and, like, I missed the Colorado State game this year. Like, I missed a few games this year. I missed most of the Kent State game. I missed all of the Purdue game because we talked about that we were coming back from Cedar Falls that day. I missed all of the Illinois game because the, my fam- we had Thanksgiving on that day. It was a Saturday, not actual Thanksgiving, but my dad's side of the family had it over at their farm. And they're big-time Iowa State fans. So you better believe that they were not throwing on the Iowa-Illinois game right after Iowa State just lost Oklahoma. That's not what was going to happen. So I've missed four games this year. I think I think I've missed four. Yeah. And I, I wish I didn't watch the Northwestern one. I know they won, but goodness gracious, 17-12? to 12? <laughs> What did we say before the game started? Like, this had the makings of a primetime Big Ten Network kickoff. When, and when I say primetime Big Ten Network, primetime for Big Ten Network is 11 o'clock in the morning. This isn't primetime like on ABC or ESPN or Fox or something. This is primetime Big Ten Network where the best games get played at 11 o'clock in the freaking morning. Okay? <laughs> this is what we're dealing with here. And that was a night game. For some unknown reason, Iowa Northwestern was in the morning slot. Which, again, for the Big Ten, when we're talking about the Big Ten Network, their schedule is reversed. Okay? Games that usually get played in the morning, so because people don't care about them, go in the, the evening. For some unknown reason, I don't know why. But Iowa Northwestern got slated at like 7 o'clock or 6.30 that Saturday. And I wish I did not watch that one. <laughs> it was kind of funny to see the reaction when Spencer Petrus went out and Alex Padilla came into the game, but he didn't even play that great. Like, there's really nothing to talk about with the Iowa quarterbacks. <laughs> not, neither one of them are that great. And I know there's a lot of people on Twitter, and a lot of Hawkeye fans on Twitter, is like, oh, stop complaining about the team. They're winning games. I'm not complaining about how they're winning games. Okay, I can't complain about the offense. I am allowed to. Do, I am within my right to complain as a fan. Every fan is within their right to say whatever the hell they want about the team. If you want to blow Brian Ferentz, good for you. Do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say screw him, and then I'm going to leave. <laughs> and I want him to get the Oklahoma job because this kind of this broke. I I, I guess it's not insanely surprising it kind of is to a certain extent but not not really but Notre Dame didn't hire either Luke Fickle or Matt Campbell they actually went out and hired their defensive coordinator who I cannot remember his name Marcus Freeman I couldn't remember his name for a little bit I just scrolled through Twitter because I didn't I kind of forgot that happened the other day it didn't get as blown up as I thought it would it didn't really explode my social media I don't think I got an update about it or anything like it kind of just happened and it was like, oh, Marcus Freeman's the new D- new coach of Notre Dame. Cool. And I'm happy. Because I like where Luke Fickle is, and I like where Matt Campbell is. 
And I know a lot of people out there go like, oh, it's an Iowa fan. You like Matt Campbell there because he never beats Iowa. No, it's not that. I think he's done really good for the program. Again, the dude has 40% of Iowa State's Big 12 wins, which is stupid how that is allowed to happen. I remember there were conversations when I was like in elementary school of them going to the MAC. Like this is, this team was in the dumps for a while. When Troy Davis had back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons, Iowa State was garbage. Good Lord, I think they went 2-10 and the year he came second in the Heisman to Danny Warfel. Like it's, it's, and a lot of Iowa State fans, fat, little factoid for you, if you really want to piss off some Iowa State fans, tell them Danny Warfel deserved the Heisman over Troy Davis. That's something you should do. If, you want, if you're bored a day, just go on Twitter, at some Cyclone, t- like the official team page, a fan page, Cyclone.tv, which is a, a weird-ass television thing the Cyclones have. And then go, you know what? Opinion time. I might get I might get hate for this, but I think Danny Warfel deserved the Heisman over Troy Davis. Now, it's not like Troy Dave or Danny Warfel had a bad year or anything, but Iowa State fans are a little upset because of how bad the team Troy Davis was playing on and how good his numbers were. It's he deserves some recognition, but you know, you gotta know. Like, he was never gonna win it with Iowa State going 2-10. and 10. And I know he's a running back, has little to say on the record of the actual team. But good lord. <laughs> Two back-to-back on, like, combined 4-20 and 20 teams. Like, hello, <laughs> that was unintentional, too. 4-20. <laughs> oh, man, we have fun around here. Yeah, Martin Freeman. Marcus Freeman. Congratulations on being Notre Dame's new coach. And I'm still banging on the drum that Brent Venables will go back to Oklahoma. I don't think that's changed. Again, I really refuse to believe Matt Campbell will ever go to Oklahoma. If you've watched the past three or four years of Iowa State versus Oklahoma, you would know there is a better chance of me going to Oklahoma than Matt Campbell is. And I could be completely wrong about that, and I'd be freaking hilarious if I was wrong about that. But, <laughs> but he ain't going. Luke Fickle... It was in, it was him and Matt Campbell like the same person, pretty much. Notre Dame and Ohio State seemed to be the only two jobs they would ever leave for. Okay? And with Luke Fickle getting Cincinnati, hopefully, into the college football playoff, I would imagine he has a better shot at those two schools than Matt Campbell. Just my opinion on it. Now, you could argue that Matt Campbell had a way bigger task ahead of him at Iowa State than Luke Fickle did at Cincinnati. But I'm pretty sure Iowa State was in a bowl game and Matt Campbell's in the press box when they when Paul Rhodes coached his last game. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, could be wrong. But I believe I remember it was either the last game of the regular season or the last game of the season in a bowl game because I remember Matt specifically Matt Campbell being in the press box watching Paul Rhodes' last game, which I think is kind of <laughs> kind of mean. The guy you're getting replaced by is sitting in the press box getting free drinks and food while you're struggling down here and about to lose your job. That's pretty That's pretty gutless, and I like it. <laughs> I really like that. But yeah, congratulations to Marcus Freeman on that. Back to the conference championship game. Iowa, are they winning? Is Iowa winning the game? According to the lines, Michigan is 11-point favorite. According to ESPN's match predictor, Michigan has a 76.5% chance to win it. Iowa, there is a very... Very, very small chance they win this game. 
and I mean minuscule. Now, there's no, I'm not going to make it 0% because there is obviously a chance for anything to happen in the world of sports. That's why we watch sports, the parody in sports. This is, I'm not feeling like it's one of those games this time. This is a different Michigan team that went to Iowa City a few years ago with Wilton Spate at quarterback. It's a completely different team. And also, it's not in Kinnick Stadium. It's in Indianapolis. And I know Iowa fans travel really well, but Michigan, I'm pretty sure they're closer to Indianapolis than Iowa is because they're just straight north of Indianapolis. (laughs) Or like northeast of Indianapolis. I bet it's like a two-hour drive to Indianapolis for Michigan. But I don't know how well their fans travel. I've been to... Uh, one or two Iowa games when they played Michigan. My first ever Iowa game was against Michigan. But I don't know if I've been to any. We were supposed to go to the one where they won in that aforementioned game against Wilton Spate. But Grandview William Penn was that day, and we went to that, and my dad was like, well, we're not going to go to that because we'll just go to the Nebraska game next week because Iowa's going to get throttled. Because I remember at that time, Michigan beat Rutgers 77 to nothing. Iowa beat Rutgers 14 to 7. Okay, <laughs> and Iowa's coming off a massive loss against Penn State, so the confidence was not at its highest for the Iowa Hawkeyes going into that game, but they won. Iowa's ten and two, Michigan's eleven and one, and I would be willing to bet it's a ten point game. I don't know if Michigan will win by eleven, but I feel comfortable enough to say they'll win by ten. If I had to place money on it, I would say a twenty to ten win for Michigan. I don't know if I was going to be able to score a lot of points against this defense. Like we said on, it was either Wednesday or Monday, because we kind of talked about this game on a couple days this week. I was going to have to just run the ball with Tyler Goodson because they're not going to be able to hold back David Ojabo or Aiden Hutchinson. With Spencer Petrus's lack of mobility, there ain't no way he is getting away from those guys. CJ Stroud is 10,000 times the athlete Spencer Petrus is. He got sacked three times by Aiden Hutchinson last Saturday. And Iowa's O-line, apart from Tyre Lindebaum, is not as good as Ohio State's. At least on the edges. And they blew those suckers up. There is not a chance. They might have like six sacks on Saturday. And Aiden Hutchins had four on his way to getting the Heisman Trophy. Like Iowa is just going to have to run the ball and keep them away from the football. That's the only way they can win this game. Do a lot of jet sweeps. Maybe that works. But I believe that Ojabo and Hutchinson have enough speed and athleticism to stop jet sweeps. Because remember, going into the season, we talked about how Aiden Hutchinson was the second most athletic player in college football. He just needed to have a season without injury. Because last year, he got hurt. Like, dude was a baller. He just got hurt. Number one in the freak athlete chart was (laughs) Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama, because he played everywhere, and he moves like a freaking, what, a ballerina? He moves so gracefully for being as monstrous as he is. Iowa don't have an Evan Neal. Iowa has the best center in college football that might be a top 10 pick. Guaranteed top 15, might be top 10. The tackles are not Iowa's strong points. Ajabo, I mean, Sam Laporta is going to have to be like TJ Hawkinson in Detroit. Their old line has been injured all year for the Lions, not so for the Hawkeyes, but the Lions, Hawkinson's had been de- deployed as a pass blocker a lot this season. So his numbers are down a little bit more because Taylor Decker's out and I believe Frank Ragnow's out. At least I believe Taylor Decker's out. I think I know Ragnow's out, but that's what Sam Laporte is going to have to be. Chip block, make sure every single time you run a route, you run into them. 
But don't push them too far inside because I have no doubts that they will be able to <laughs> make pass rush moves on the inside as well. No doubts about it. Like, this could be one of the greatest runs we've seen in college football history for a defenseman. Aiden Hutchinson coming off three sacks against Ohio State to get their first win against the, the Buckeyes in 2011. And then having a monstrous day against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. Whew. It's going to be a little crazy. Now, if we're talking about defenses, Iowa's, you know, the past defense has been the most most positive thing, but Matt Hankins is out. And the good thing for Iowa, Michigan is not the greatest team going down the field, throwing the ball. They're not. They're all right. Cade McNamara is a very capable quarterback, but their strengths in the run. You got two dominant running backs in Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, who Haskins had five rushing touchdowns against Ohio State, whose defense to be fair, is not as good as Iowa's defense. But Iowa's rush defense is also fairly solid. They give it about just over 105 yards a game. So this will be a challenge for Michigan, but they played really well against Wisconsin, who has the number one rush defense in college football, and threw the ball pretty well. And beat them fairly easily, if I might add. Actually, you know what? I might think it's 27-10. <laughs> it's 20-10 or 27-10 Michigan. I really do I'm... I'm known to be a pessimistic fan, so I apologize for sounding like this for all you Iowa fans that are listening, but I really don't think Iowa has a, is going to win this game. I don't think their offense is good enough to keep up with Michigan. They average 150 yards a game less than Michigan. That is insane. <laughs> Michigan averages 451 yards a game. Iowa averages 299. Pass, defense, pass offense averages 177 yards a game. That's on par with the likes of Kansas. I think it's even below Kansas. I haven't checked in a little bit. A few weeks ago, it was below Kansas and Clemson, and we've all made fun of Clemson's offense this year, which they ended up not even being that terrible. For how bad they started off the season, Clemson didn't end up being that atrocious. They finished 10 and 9-3 and, and finished ranked 20th. Like That's not bad, but when you look at how not great the ACC has been over the past few years. It's a little disappointing with Wake Forest, North Carolina, and Pitt winning the conference this year. That's kind of surprising, but you did lose a lot of players last year, so we could give them the slack, but the problem is Clemson is different than likes of Iowa, like Pitt, Wake Forest, where you lose five-star players, you don't have five-star players waiting in the wings. Clemson's got five stars on five stars on five stars. Like, they do not, it is not a worry to them to have talent on the field. So going nine and three is disappointing for them. Like, really disappointing. Especially how bad they started the season on the offensive side of the ball and how bad DJU played at the start of the season. That's a little disappointing. But for Iowa, going back to Iowa-Michigan, yeah, Iowa, I don't think Iowa's winning this game. Hopefully that's a jinx. And hopefully Iowa does win, but I really don't think they do. But conference championship games start off on Friday. Actually, not Saturday. We've got two games on Friday. Western Kentucky taking on UTSA and Oregon taking on Utah. <laughs> I I mean, it's going to be hard to replicate what Utah did <laughs> to Oregon last time. But they're in Las Vegas. Utah's a lot closer to Las Vegas than, than Oregon is. I do think that's a really nice stadium to play. I think they played in Santa Clara, the 49ers stadium before that, but I think Allegiant Stadium fits a lot more in the Pac-12. It's a lot more neutral because there's no team in the Pac-12 that's in Nevada. So you have every team going to one place, no in-state, and can't have a, a bias towards one team. It's like California when you were at Santa Clara and San Francisco for the, the Niners stadium. 
Cal and Stanford are right there. Now, granted, they're not up. They're not in that high of the, <laughs> the conference anymore, but they're up there. So if they were to make it, they would have a lot of support there, one would imagine. But I, I'm still going on Utah winning this game. Like, we'd made fun of Oregon a few weeks ago. Why the hell? No one is bringing up Oregon being in the top four, but everybody bitches and moans about Alabama all the time when Oregon lost to freaking Stanford, who hadn't won a, ha, still hasn't won a game since they beat Oregon. <laughs> and people were complaining about Alabama. And then Oregon got rightfully shit-stomped by Utah. And now Utah's 9-3, and three, and they played a lot better as of late as well. They didn't start off the season very well. Not at all. Like, they were fairly bad, but Everson put Cameron Rising in at starting quarterback. Pretty sure they're undefeated with him as a starter, and he's thrown 17 touchdowns with three interceptions on the season. Pretty damn impressive. And every single game, apart from their odd game against Arizona, has been won by double digits in their last five. They beat Arizona by nine, and that was a crazy-ass game because Arizona reeks this year. And Oregon got sit-stomped by Utah and had close games most of their time throughout the season are played not great towards the latter parts of the season. So I would fully expect Utah to win this game. They're favored by two and a half. I would imagine Utah would win born by that, but I'm, again, I still can't get that Oregon-Utah game the first time they played out of my head. But I still think Utah can win by at least a touchdown, or at least a field goal. Utah should win this game. And then UTSA versus Western Kentucky, that's at 6 o'clock on CSNBCB. Sports Network. CBS Sports Network. Good Lord. I said Western Kentucky will win. And this was before I looked at the lines. And now that Western Kentucky is the favorite, I feel like a pleb because I don't want (laughs) to pick only favorites. But that's how I'm feeling right now. UTSA is coming off a ugly loss (laughs) against North Texas the last game of the season. 45-23 to North Texas. That is terrible. It was, at, it was on the road, fair enough, and North Texas was on a nice run of form right there. But, good Lord, you're 11-0 playing North Texas. <laughs> oh, no, you can't have that game. You can't play that bad against North Texas. That's miserable. <laughs> Look at all the games. Like, Western Kentucky, they lost to UTSA earlier this season, but it was a close one. This game will also be close and be very, very high-scoring. So, we'll have to see how this game goes. I'm still going to take Western Kentucky, even though they're the favorites now. And I want to choose someone that's an underdog. But I'm still going to stick with the Hilltoppers. I think Bailey Zappi and this offense are going to be too much to stop this time around. They were almost too much to stop last time. But Cecir McCormick, the running back for UTSA, if he gets going, UTSA could be, could be rolling. Could be If they get the ball first and keep Bailey's happy and then offense off the field, they could be rolling after that. And then Saturday, we already talked about Iowa-Michigan. Then we got Baylor-Okie State at 11. A weird-ass time for a championship game. 11 on ABC at AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Okie State's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking the, the Cowboys in that one, which is ridiculous to think that they are the fifth-best team in the nation according to the rankings. That is crazy to me. After how they started the season... Like, almost losing to Missouri State and Tulsa. And now they're the fifth-ranked team in the nation. They have beaten a lot of teams by double digits this season. Had some nice comebacks, like the one against Texas. And they're a win away and a random loss, which one of the teams in the top four is going to lose because Alabama and Georgia play each other at, what time, 3 o'clock on Saturday. 
Georgia is a six and a half point favorite, and I have no doubts that Georgia will win. But the only way Oklahoma State goes in is if they beat Baylor and Alabama loses. And we talked about this on Monday, I think it was, when the rankings came out, or Wednesday, about even if Alabama loses, Okie State would have, like, you got to remember who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Gary Barta. <laughs> we're not dealing with a brainiac over here. We're dealing with Gary Barta. So I would not be surprised at all, and I hope people are not upset if and when Alabama makes the college football playoff with two losses. So I'm not saying it will happen, but be mentally prepared if and when it does. Because I think there is a chance, I think a greater chance than what people are giving it credit for, that they make the playoff with two losses, especially if they play Georgia really tough. That's just why I think about it, just because of how the playoff system works. And like we said the other day, do a five-team playoff and have the first two team, four and five seeds played and then the winner plays the number one seed. I like that idea. Because you look at some of the teams outside of the top five, I don't know if I really want them in there. Do I want Notre Dame, a team that barely beat Florida State and Toledo in the college football playoff? No, not really. Not really. <laughs> With Jack, do I want to see Jack Cohn in the college football playoff? No. I don't. I would like to see Kyron Williams, but if Jack Cohn's there, then it kind of eliminates it. My love for watching Kyron Williams is defeated by the fact that I do not like watching Jack Cohn play football. And it would be it would be really funny though if Notre Dame made the playoff, if Notre Dame if uh, Alabama and Okie State lost, and they make it without Brian Kelly, that'd be pretty freaking hilarious. But that's like maybe a five percent chance of happening. If both Okie State and Alabama lose, Alabama's in the playoff. There's no way they're moving Notre Dame up that far after not playing. They'd move them up one just because of the fact Okie State lost. Alabama would just drop one spot. Notre Dame ain't moving up two spots after not playing. I refuse to believe that would happen. It could happen, but I, I don't really think that would happen. And then we've got Utah State taking on San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State should win that one, but Utah's, Utah State's a pretty fun team to watch this year. Uh, Kent State... Northern Illinois, I want Kent State to win. You got Crum, Dustin Crum at quarterback this year. He's one of my quarterbacks we've listed in the other category the past two weeks in the week 12 and 13 quarterback prospect range for the draft expert. But Rocky Lombardi, famous Iowan, is Northern Illinois' quarterback. So I want to cheer for Northern Illinois, but I want Kent State to win. I would like Kent State to win. Or no, Wait, that doesn't make any sense. I am cheering for Northern Illinois, but I want Kent State to win. Does that make any sense? No, it does not. <laughs> I will be cheering for Northern Illinois, but I think Kent State will still win. San Diego State, I think their defense is too good. I think they'll be fine there. But if you can stop them running the ball, they're pretty easy to beat, but no teams have really done that this year playing them. Then we got Louisiana versus Appalachian State, which will be a lot of fun. I'm taking the Raging Cajuns over that, over the Appy State Mountain. I think they're the Mountaineers, right? Yes, they are. Look at that. <laughs> College football knowledge dropped right on your head top right there. Uh, Levi Lewis, I'm just going to take the better quarterback there. Chase Bryce, former Clemson quarterback, former Duke quarterback. I like him. He's a decent quarterback, decent backup quarterback, but I'm taking Levi Lewis. Le yeah, Levi Lewis over Chase Bryce 80 times out of 100. There's very few times I would do it. I mean, 20 seems like a lot, but then you put it in the grand scheme of 100, yeah, probably not. And we got Houston taking on Cincy, which will be a lot of fun to watch. Cincy's a 10.5-point favorite. And Pitt, Wake Forest, and 7 o'clock on ABC will be a whole hell of a lot of fun to watch. That'll be awesome. Kenny Pickett versus Sam Hartman. I'm all for that. 
And Kenny Pickett, if he has a good game, could really be in the conversation for the best quarterback in the upcoming draft. Well, he's already is. I, I guess kind of puts him up top, I guess we would say. Then the game, no one really cares about at 10 o'clock. <laughs> good Lord. USC versus Cal. Cal is a four and a half point favorite over Lincoln Riley's new team. Oh, because remember a few weeks ago, they had to cancel that game due to COVID violations. Ugh. That's not a game I'm really looking forward to, but there, there's some really nice college football games coming up this weekend. Again, recap, Western Kentucky versus UTSA for the Conference USA Championships at 6 o'clock on Friday on CBS Sports Network. Then we've got Oregon taking on Utah in the Pac-12 Championship game on, at 7 on ABC. Moving to Saturday, we have Baylor and Oki State taking on for the Big 12 Championship at 11. Kent State, Northern Illinois for the MAC Championship at 11. Utah State, San Diego State for the Mountain West Crown at 2 on Fox. Appy State and Louisiana taking each other on for the Sunbelt Championship at 2.30 on ESPN. Georgia, Alabama for the SEC Championship at 3 on CBS. Houston, Cincinnati at 3 o'clock on ABC for the American Athletic Conference Championship. Then we've got Pitt taking on Wake Forest on ABC at 7 and Iowa and Michigan on Fox at 7. Michigan is the largest spread. Iowa-Michigan has the largest spread of any teams this week. Michigan is 11-point favorite. The next closest is Cincinnati at 10.5. But, yeah, our picks again, I'm going to stick with the same. Western Kentucky, uh, Utah, Okie State, Kent State, San Diego State, Louisiana, Georgia, Cincy, Pitt, Michigan, and then I guess we'll throw in (laughs) USC versus Cal. I'm going to take Cal. <laughs> I'm just going to take the Golden Bears over uh, the Trojans, who are coming off a string of very bad losses. B- or Cal just got shut down by UCLA. Both teams kind of got shit-stomped by the Bruins, and then they did come off a bad 10-3 three- loss versus Arizona. But I'm going to take the Cal Bears in that one. And before we go on to the NFL, I like to do this because we haven't done this in a little bit. I did this a year ago, I think where we did the best first quarterback taken in the draft, 97 to 2020. Now we've got the second quarterback taken in the draft from 97 to 2001. And let me tell you, there are some garbage quarterbacks taken second. Now, to my knowledge, there's only two quarterbacks on this list that were taken outside of the first round. That is Geno Smith and Jake Plummer. Because remember in 97, Jim Drunkenmiller was taken first at 27th, and we know how well that one turned. I know Giovanni Kamazi is also in here as well. Personally, my favorite quarterback on this list, Giovanni Kamazi. But there is some, oh, there's some garbage ones. So we'll start off with the most recent NFL draft. And here's the, the tiers. Hall of Fame, great, good, average, bust, and too early to tell. I, I think, well, with 2021 already being a thing, like we... Zach Wilson has to go in the too early to tell category because it hasn't been great to start off his career so far in New Jersey. But right now we have to put in the too early to tell for Tua. I would argue you have to put him in the same category as well because the amount of people that change their opinions on Tua is kind of ridiculous how it goes from, yeah, he's a really good quarterback to, or not really good. He's a good quarterback to, he was a bust. They should trade for Deshaun Watson. Because remember when we talked about that, we said they have a lot more needs than quarterback on the Dolphins. And they have a four-game win streak right now. They played He played really well against one of the better pass defenses in the NFL last week against the Panthers. So I don't really know what to make it to. I would, I would put him up in good to average. He ain't a bust. He's not terrible. There are some terrible quarterbacks on this list that we'll get to once we start getting closer to the 2000s range. 
There are some garbage quarterbacks. Now, 2019 is an interesting one. This one is Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones. I'm not going to put him in the bus category. I'm just going to throw him an average. That's not Danny Jones. That was Marcus Mariota. Danny, there he is, Daniel Jones. They're making the exact same pose and are both wearing white uniforms with dark helmets. I apologize for that. But I'm putting Danny Dimes on average. I don't think he's that bad, okay? Now, I am judging this based off the fact that I think he's got good potential to be a good quarterback in the NFL. I think that he's got the size, the mobility. He's smarter, smart enough to be an NFL quarterback. <laughs> I think that if he gets some, like, a good off to line, because the Giants O-line might be the worst in the NFL this year. It might be. It's it's top, it's bottom three. It's close. I would put him in the average. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback this year. I could be wrong because Dave Gettleman just got fired or is about to get fired. So there's one piece that's gone. Well, I th- Who was the coach that drafted him? Was Joe? No, it was that freaking Ben. Ma- was it Ben McAdoo or Shermer? Pat Shermer, I think he might. So the coach and GM are gone. So I guess there's a chance he get they get someone else. But I don't know. I don't know. The next one, 2018, Sam Darnold. Oh boy. Do I feel bad about putting him in bust? Because people want to talk about how he didn't have a chance in New York because he had Adam Gase. But he goes to Carolina, and he still stinks there. Can we put him in the bus category? He has good coaches, good wide receivers in Carolina. And he got Robbie Anderson again and won't throw to him. <laughs> now he's got Cam Newton there, and he's out. He's out injured right now. That one feels a little harsh, because I don't think he's that terrible compared to some of the other quarterbacks we have on here. We might need to make another category right, below, right in between average and bust, because... Sam Darnold, and I think the next guy on here, Trubisky, go in that category. I don't think Trubisky's a bust. I don't. I think Matt Nagy sucks cock in that Trubisky, on another team, would be a nice quarterback. And I it pissed me off to a certain extent when I saw people talk about, oh, now it's not Trubisky's fault. Now it's Matt Nagy's fault because Justin Fields is a quarterback that we like, and I didn't get Trubisky on here. No, it's not Trubisky. What the hell am I talking about? He was the first... If he was the second pick, first quarterback, Patty Mahomes, uh, Hall of Famer. <laughs> do I do I need to talk about Patrick Mahomes? Like, there's a few quarterbacks on here. There are some t- atrocious ones, but Patty Mahomes is a Hall of Famer, guaranteed. I don't care that he's only played a certain number of games, seasons in the NFL. That dude's a Hall of Famer already. He's won an MVP, won a Super Bowl. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's put up godly numbers. He's the best quarterback in the league when he's on it. He's the He's a Hall of Famer. Next one. 2016, Carson Wentz. There's a lot of up and down with Carson Wentz. I would put him in the good category because Carson Wentz was an MVP his second year of the league before he got hurt, then played well with no weapons around in the next season, and then kind of got, you know, screwed by the Eagles and then got benched for Jalen Hurts and then traded to Indy, and he's playing well in Indy. Like, he's a good quarterback. He's above average. Certainly. I wouldn't put him anywhere near the great category, but he's definitely an above-average quarterback. Then we got 2015, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota draft. Uh, Mariota, uh, bust. Kind of in a similar situation to Sam Darnold, where I don't think he's that bad. I just, he's he's not starting. He just signed a second contract in the NFL and got put on the bench in Vegas. Like, he's not starting anytime soon, unless he gets traded. I think he's the highest-paid backup in the league, so credit to him on that. But that that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, 
I feel bad because they're not as bad as some of the other quarterbacks we're about to put on this list because there are some terrible ones. The next one, Johnny Manziel bust. I mean, there's not really a lot to talk about there. Remember when they were saying that he was going to, or Skip Bayless, I said they, Skip Bayless, said that he was going to be bigger in Cleveland than LeBron James? That was pretty funny. I thoroughly enjoyed that time period. <laughs> he was pretty bad in the NFL. Next one, 2013, Jameis, or Geno Smith, uh, bust. I mean, Second-round draft pick. Can he really be a bust from a second-round draft pick? But he ain't average, and he did not play well at all in New, in New Jersey. So we had to put him in the na- that category. Next one, 2012, RG3. Oh, man. I don't think RG3 is a bust. This is, I've got to add another category here. There has got to be another category. Because this is ridiculous, that RG3, Sam Darnold. I don't think Sam Darnold, RG3, are busts. I don't. I refuse to believe that at this point in time. I don't think they're busts. Now, I, I could be swayed into thinking something different, but I'm changing up the tier list here because I feel bad for putting these guys up there. Darnold, uh, Mariota, and now we have, who is it again? 2012, G- RG3. I don't think RG3 was a bust. I think he got hurt. Do one rookie of the year. Coaches that drafted him did not want him there. They made that abundantly clear when they drafted the quarterback later in the draft. Like, you don't do that if you're fully committed to the guy you drafted and paid a lot of money and a lot of draft capital to get up to get. You don't do that. If you're not com- if you're committed to a guy, you don't do that. <laughs> and they weren't. So I think it was kind of a, a mixture of injuries and having people that didn't want him be his coaches. I don't I don't think he is a bust. I don't think he is. Uh next one in 2011, this was Cam Newton's draft. The next one we got on here is who was it again? A guy that doesn't get talked about as much as being a bust as he is, Jake Locker. Jake Locker played 3 years in the NFL. 3. 2011 to 2014 and did absolutely nothing. I didn't think he was that good at Washington. Or he played 4 years, played t- 30 games, started 23 games. I didn't even think he was that good at Washington. And then he got drafted 7th overall or 8th overall by the Titans. Yeah, that, no, he's a bust. That dude stay, sticks in, stay in the bust category, Jake. I don't, I never got the hype around Jake Locker, and I I frankly don't understand it now. And then we've got the 2010 NFL draft. And this one is a lot of people's favorite, Tim Tebow. I cannot throw him in the bust category for what he did to middle school. Like, when you if you were in middle school around the time Tim Tebow was, the Tebowing thing was massive. You saw people rocking around in Tebow jerseys. They won a playoff game before having one of the worst games in NFL history against the Patriots the next round. Like, he has to go on below average. I don't think he's a... I would not put him in the same category as some of these other quarterbacks we got on here because he was at least somewhat competent at the NFL level. I ain't putting him down there. The next one on here is Mark Sanchez. Same thing. He went to back-to-back AFC Championship games. Both times, they won six away games. Back-to-back, won six straight away road road playoff games. He's not a bust. Mark Sanchez was not good by any stretch of the imagination, but he wasn't. The, I wouldn't put him in the bust category. I wouldn't. He's not great at all, but not that bad. <laughs> Next one, Joe Flacco. Is Joe Flacco elite? The question everybody's been asking. No, but Joe Flacco is good. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl, was a Super Bowl MVP, now it's kind of that NFL journeyman that's kind of just rotating around the league between different teams. It's kind of like this year's or this team, this generation's version of Matt Hasselbeck, who was a good quarterback in Seattle and then kind of bounced around some teams afterwards and then played till he's like 40 or something and then retired. 
But he had a good career. Matt Hasselbeck went to a Super Bowl, had the famous line against the Packers, and over time we want the ball and we're going to score before throwing a game-sealing pick six. <laughs> that One of the greatest lines in NFL history. And the next one, we got 2007, a very odd draft. <laughs> Not a great one by any stretch of the imagination. We were talking about quarterbacks. The first round of quarterbacks was Jamarcus Russell and Brady Quinn. And then the first quarterback taken in the second round was Kevin Cobb. Then we got John Beck, who's now, you know, Zach Wilson's quarterback coach, who is a way better coach than he ever was at quarterback at the NFL level. Terrible, terrible, terrible quarterback draft. Brady Quinn is a bust. <laughs> that dude is a handsome man. I'll take nothing away from him looks-wise. But as a quarterback in the NFL, not great. Like to make college, not great as an NFL quarterback. Next one, Matt Leinart. Same thing, bust. Love Matt Leinart. Good-looking dude. Loved him in college. Played one of the greatest college football games ever against Texas where Vince Young won the natty. And when you get upstaged by a quarterback in Kurt Warner that was supposed to be seeing out the latter stages of a career and supposed to be your backup and mentoring you, and then he proceeds to pass you and then go to the Hall of Fame, that's a little bit of an issue there. Next one, Aaron Rodgers. Hey, number one. I mean, Hall of Famer. It's Aaron, it's Aaron bleeping Rodgers we're talking about here. Then we got 2004, Philip Rivers. Okay, this one, for just sake of not getting mad at everybody, or everybody getting mad at me, I'll put him in great, I'll put him in the great category. I personally think he's a Hall of Famer, but when I look at the other quarterbacks in this draft, do I put him up as high as these guys? No. Do I put him up there with Rodgers and Mahomes? No. But, I love myself some Phillip Rivers, and he is as close to Hall of Fame as you can get without most people saying he's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, well, I don't know where most people think about Phillip Rivers. I consider him one, but I'm going to stick him in great at this point in time. But that was the famous Eli Manning draft. And then the next one, I love this guy because he had one of my favorite moments in watching Sunday Night Football ever when he was on the Steelers. Byron Leftwich, drafted out of Marshall by the Jaguars. There was not a single picture of him on the Jaguars that I could use for this tier list thing. So I had to use a picture on the Steelers because, again, it was my favorite moment I've watched on Sunday Night Football that I can remember of him running all the way down the field before tripping at the one-yard line and separating his shoulder. Like That is one of the greatest moments in Sunday Night Football history that I don't think it's talked about enough. And now he's going to be next in line to be one of the next head coaches in the NFL. So, I mean, it's all, it's all worked itself out for Byron. He's a really tough dude, played on a broken leg in Marshall, got carried down the field by his teammates. Like, this dude's a baller. Just didn't work out for him in the NFL. Next one, same thing, Joey Harrington, bust. <laughs> Cover of one of the NCAA football games. Can't remember which one at Oregon. But yeah, he, him him a bust. <laughs> him him not very good. Let's just put it, let's just say it like that. Him is not a very good quarterback. Next one, Drew Brees, Hall of Famer. I put him in a Chargers uniform because that's where he got drafted by. And yeah, I tried, again, I tried to get everybody on the team they drafted, got drafted by, but Byron Leftwich. Again, none of the Jaguars picture would freaking work, so I couldn't even put them on there. Next one, 2000. A weird draft. This is the Courtney Brown draft. This is the Tom Brady draft. The Chad Pennington draft. This is where Giovanni Carmazzi comes in. The 49ers quarterback. Steve Young retires. He's going to be the heir apparent. And they passed on Tom Brady, who's from California, to draft Giovanni Carmazzi from Hofstra. And Giovanni Carmazzi lasted a year Maybe. He got basically shunted out of the NFL after his first game, which was in the Hall of Fame game against Tom Brady, and now he's a goat farmer. This dude, there's barely any pictures of him on Google anyways. 
Like you can't nothing. He did next to nothing in the NFL. You think Jake Locker did nothing? That's what jo- Giovanni Carmazzi did. Nothing. And he's our Jim Drunkenmiller of this year <laughs> because that was a an interesting one because Jim Drunkenmiller was 97's first quarterback taken by the 49ers. And now he's the one that we're talking about is like the biggest bust at all these guys on this list next to Joey Harrington. Next one, Donovan McNabb. Good career. Don McNabb. I, I mean, I could, didn't really have an opinion about Don McNabb. I feel kind of bad for how he got welcomed to the NFL because Eagles fans wanted Ricky Williams. They drafted Donovan. And now, in hindsight, I bet they'd be a lot different now. But Donovan does not like Philadelphia Eagles fans. I don't know if he likes the Eagles in general because of that whole situation. And then he was cast the villain against Terrell Owens, who's coming back to Buffalo this week, which will be super sick. I'm all for that. Love T.O. But yeah, Donovan, he had a he had a nice career in the NFL. And the next one, Ryan Leaf. Uh, <laughs> we don't really need to say a lot about Ryan Leaf. The biggest bust in NFL history, in my opinion, because I know Jamarcus Russell gets brought up a lot. But I think when you're really having the conversation between Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning for the number one overall pick, that's the biggest bust ever. You're getting compared to Peyton Manning. Five MVPs, one, two Super Bowls, multiple passing records. And Ryan Leaf was almost taken before him. <laughs> that's what makes him the biggest bust ever, is that they had conversation between Manning and Leaf. And if you watch old videos, the Chargers were like, yeah, I mean, we'll take either Manning or Leaf. And they got him. And they, I bet they wish they didn't. And then the last one on here, in my opinion, was a, one of the more interesting quarterbacks in the NFL. And he was a second-round draft pick. We talked about him a little bit before. It's Jake Plummer. I would put Jake Plummer in the, the average category. in a good category. Jake Plummer was a nice quarterback in the NFL. I remember him more in his time with the Broncos than I do the Cardinals, even though he played most of his career on the Broncos. And he had, the, this is weird, I did not know this till now, he has the exact same number of interceptions as touchdowns in his career. So does that dip him down to average? I'll put him in average. I don't, Jake Plummer was a fine quarterback for the Broncos, fine for the Cardinals. Like, he was a decent quarterback. But this one, as you can see, I'll post this on social media, there is a lot <laughs> of bad quarterbacks in this draft. This set gets drafted second. It's a bad run. You got three, potentially four Hall of Famers there and a bunch of guys that did not finish their career on the same team. <laughs> like, look at some of these quarterbacks we got on here. Johnny, Geno Smith, Jake Locker, Giovanni Carmazzi, Joey Harrington. Some terrible, terrible quarterbacks. But hey, you know what? I don't think they're complaining. They might not get looked on fondly in their NFL careers. But you know what? They made a shitload of money. And I'm for well, some of them, some of them more than others, because, you know, the longer you're in the league, the more off, the more likely you are to get more money. <laughs> so these guys didn't see a lot of second contracts. Let's put it like that. But they had decent, you know, some of them more decent than others <laughs> in their NFL career. Oh, man. I love some of these guys, though. Really funny how some of these things work out. Like you're expected to be the guy, and then you're just not the guy. <laughs> It just doesn't work out. And you get drafted after Peyton Manning and supposed to be the guy. Or you're Matt Leiner or Brady Quinn coming in, coming off great careers in college and just can't do anything at the next level, next to nothing. So that's our quarterback tier list right there. And before we move on to the NFL, we've got some FCS football to go over. We've got Sam Houston taking on Incarnate Word, Montana State taking on UT Martin, and we got Villanova Holy Cross, Sacramento State, South Dakota State, 
James Madison and Southern Montana versus Eastern Washington. ETSU taking on Kennesaw State and North, North Dakota State taking on Southern Illinois. So I hope you enjoyed the tier list because I certainly did. This is the second time we've done a tier list this week. It's kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy. But before the final thing we talked about, Taylor Martinez is transferring. I think that's kind of funny. I mean, you didn't think he had any more eligibility left, but the dude just keeps seeming to have more and more years of college eligibility. I don't get, know where the hell it's coming from, but they've got it. And quickly, because I want to do the USA stuff, uh, some NFL action for you this weekend. We got the Cowboys and Saints on Thursday night football. You guys will know what the outcome of that game is, as I will not. Cowboys are six and a half point favorites over the Saints because the Saints are just riddled with injuries. Their two starting tackles and Alvin Kamara are out. Taysom Hill, I think, is starting tonight for the Saints, so I'll be interested to see how that one goes down. But you're missing three of your best offensive players. <laughs> like they, The Cowboys should throttle them. One would suspect the Cowboys to throttle them. Then on Sunday, we got the Chargers and Bengals, which will be awesome. You got two second-year quarterbacks, Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow, two of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL, going at it in Cincinnati. Then we got the Bucks and Falcons, Cardinals, Bears, Vikings, Lions, Giants, and Dolphins, Eagles, Jets, Colts, Texans, Washington versus the Raiders, Jaguars, Rams, which battled the Jalen Ramsey Bowl, Ravens, Steelers, which is an awesome game, should be played at night all the time, especially when they're playing in Baltimore. And then you've got 49ers and Seahawks and Chiefs, Broncos, the surprisingly over 500 Denver Broncos taking on the one-game better Kansas City Chiefs, which is ridiculous to think about on Sunday Night Football. Then Monday night, Bills-Patriots. Oh, man, Bills-Patriots. Battle for the number one seed in the AFC East. Oh, my goodness, what a game that one is going to be. Monday Night Football, Bills-Patriots. I'm upset that the Bills are not rocking all red, but that's whatever. They're rocking their traditional white-blue-white uniform combo. All red, beautiful. They haven't rocked it all year. I'm wearing a red Bills sweatshirt right now. I want to rock, see them rock the all red or white, red, white. Josh Allen did that when they had some in-stadium practices. Why can't they do that at least one time for a game? Come on. <laughs> but we had to give bowl games to every single game on this list. What should we call these games? The Sean Payton Bowl for the Cowboys and the Saints because Sean Payton was the former office coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. Or the Tony Romo Bowl because the Saints won a Tony Romo when Sean Payton went to New Orleans before Drew Brees. Fun fact for you. Chargers, Bengals, battle the second-year quarterbacks. Second-year bowl, because they're both in their second year of the NFL and both ballers. Bucks, Falcons. I mean, there's an easy one we could go on right here. FUC, like, <laughs> it writes itself. The FUC Bowl, you can say that out yourself. I think that would kind of write itself. I mean, Falcons, Bucks. I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> Bears, Cardinals. This is the Dennis Green Bowl that we, they are who we thought they were bowl. And we let them off the hook. That's what that game is. That's the bowl game we're going to this week. Vikings, Lions. Yeah, that's the bowl. <laughs> the, uh, I don't want to watch that game, bowl. <laughs> In Detroit. Ah, yeah, the, I don't want to watch that bowl. Uh, Giants, Dolphins. The Bill Parcells Bowl. I believe Bill Parcells is coaching Miami as well. I could be completely wrong about that. Hold on. At least for a little bit, right? No. Who am I picturing? Because he coached, I know he coached the Patriots Giants and the Jets and the, the Cowboys. But for some reason, I was thinking he coached the, the 
the Dolphins for a tiny bit. The second quarterback taken in the draft bowl, I mean, you just had them in the tier list, Danny Jones and Tua. So, yeah, that's the bowl game there. Jets, Eagles, yuck. <laughs> um, what is this, the, the Green Bowl? Is that a terrible name for a bowl game? Yeah, kind of. The Zach Wilson Bowl, because the Jets drafted him, the Eagles wanted to draft him. Yeah, the Zach Wilson Bowl, Colts, Texans. Um, Colts, Texans. What can we call the Colts, Texans game? I don't know. What what goes on in in Houston that could be related to the Colts? I mean, they're in divisions. That doesn't really matter. I don't know. Well, we'll come back to that one. Washington versus the Raiders, email bowl, because there ain't no way in hell Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen are cleared of all charges on the email scandal that got John Gruden fired. This is the email bowl. Rams, 49, or Rams, Jags, this is Jalen Ramsey bowl, pretty much writes itself. Steelers, Ravens, Badass rivalry, badass game, the game of the badass, because that's this game always seems to have some sort of fight in it. 49ers, Seahawks, the underachievers bowl, because both these teams are supposed to be pretty decent this year. The Niners are over 500 and starting to get better, but the underachievers bowl. And Broncos, Chiefs, the screw them bowl. Hate both teams. Bills, Patriots, new era game. Okay, the new era game, because now it's the Bills' time. <laughs> Hopefully, not good. Knock on wood, of course. <laughs> Just making that loud enough so you could hear it. Colts Texans, though. What the hell are we going to call that one? The ex- No, because the Colts relocated. I was going to call the Expansion Bowl, but the Colts didn't expand. They were they were an original team. They were in Baltimore. What team? What has connected the Colts and the Texans? Is there anything that connects these two? Other than them being in the division. But that's boring. We're not doing that. Is there any quarterbacks that have played for the Texans and Colts? And Matt ha- no, Matt Hasselbeck played for the Titans. Who the hell, what is this bowl game called? The I don't know bowl. That's what we're going to call it. Screw that game. I'm not going to talk about that one anymore. But it's some exciting games. Make sure you tune in to Monday Night Football. We'll go over more of that in depth on Monday's show. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And it is getting later in the episode. I think we have reached an hour now. Or about out an hour. But I told you on Monday I would talk about the United States. I have a World Cup 2022 squad prediction that I want to do. I haven't done it in a while. I wanted to do it last week because that was that marked a year until the World Cup happens, which is stupid, but that's a whole other topic. I think we say every single time <laughs> I say the World Cup next year. But we're going through each position. Goalkeeper. Now this is in the, the mindset of Greg Berhalter deploying a, four, a 4-3-3 formation. That's the system we're rolling with here. So each category, I've got a list of players that are in contention for each spot. So goalkeeper, right back, center back, left back, defensive midfield, central mid, uh, the wingers, and the forwards. So we got seven positions, I believe that's seven, to work with right now. So starting off with the goalkeepers, in contention, I think are Brad Guzan, Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen, and Matt Turner. I think Steffen, I mean, it's obvious Steffen and Turner are locks. There's not really a lot said there. Other than the fact who's going to start, Matt Turner just had an insane 2020, geez, 2021 where he won the Gold Cup, got his first caps for the United States, was named goalkeeper of the tournament, allowed one goal through open play, just had the best record in MLS history, I believe, for a regular season this year for the New England Revolution, and then won goalkeeper of the year, was named in the MLS Best 11, whereas Zach Steffen got hurt in the Nations League final, did not play in the Gold Cup, and has sat in the bench most of the time for Man City. But, that being said, that's all club level for most of it. 
Zach Steffen has not really done anything wrong to lose his spot. To my, in my opinion, I think if you flip a coin and that's what you'll have for the World Cup squad, that's who will start. Steph, you can flip a freaking coin. But I think with Steffen, the thing that gives him the slight edge, apart from because Turner played an insane 2021, that will not be taken away from Matt Turner. But Zach Steffen is arguably better with his feet, has the trust of Greg Berhalter, has been the captain on multiple occasions for the United States. So as of right now, you flip a coin, but next year I think Zach Steffen will still be number one. I think. I could be completely right. I'm not confident in this. It's 50-50. If you said Matt Turner deserves to be a starter, yeah, I understand completely. <laughs> I understand a thousand percent. But I think Burhalter will pick Stefan. Because this isn't my team. This is why I think Burhalter will pick. Because my opinion doesn't matter on the whole situation. It's about what Greg Burhalter will pick because he's the manager of the United States. In my, if my, like if I'm looking at it from club level, Turner should start. Stefan doesn't even play. But, on national team front, Stefan has not done anything to lose his spot, and Burhalter trusts him. So I'm going to stick with Stefan as the number one, Turner as the two. And then I think it's really between Horvath and Johnson. Similar thing with this one. Johnson was just in the, he made it to the Eastern Conference semifinals, or Eastern Conference finals. They just beat the New England Revolution on a penalty shootout, saved a penalty in the shootout, has been a constant figure. He's most New York City FC's all time record appearance holder, and he's been a constant third choice goalie for the United States. Ethan Horvath, similarly, but does not play at club level at all for Nottingham Forest. Just transferred there from Club Bruges. Lost his starting job at Club Bruges two years ago, a year and a half ago. But is always in the United States squad and saved the penalty against Mexico in the Nations League final. This one, similar thing. I don't think Guzan's there. I mean, he's in the. I have him in the others, but I think that one's more of emergency third-choice goalie and to have some experienced player there. Because that's the only reason he was there in the Gold Cup, because Turner had only one cap going into the Gold Cup. Guzan has 60-something on his resume right now, which is a lot more than what he should have. Because remember, Jurgen Klinsmann had that weird-ass relationship with Tim Howard for about a year. But I'm going to go with Horvath over Johnson just. It's ju- it's not. It's a similar thing there. If you said Johnson deserved to go, I understand completely. If you said Horvath deserved to go, I understand completely. You could point out big performances Horvath has had for the United States. You can't do that with Johnson, which is why I'm picking Horvath in that sense. Right back, I think it's fairly straightforward with the top two guys. It's Yedlin and Dest. Not in that order, but Yedlin and Dest will be going to the World Cup. Reggie Cannon, I think, is the most well-rounded right back the United States has at their disposal right now. But he did get his spot taken from him by Shaq Moore in the Gold Cup. Now, that had nothing to do with how he was playing. He got hurt. Right before the Gold Cup started, Shaq Moore balled out. Shaq Moore is a whole hell of a lot better going forward because Reg- he can play on the wing if needed. He can play left back, play right back, on right wing, right mid, wherever. And he can bomb forward. Reggie Cannon will bomb forward, but he's also really good going back. He's, a lot- he's probably the best defensive right back the United States have. But in Greg Berhalter's style, the two guys that I think fit it the most are Destin Yedlin, who have been the two main guys at right back for the United States. And it's been kind of nice to see Yedlin back in the team. He's the fastest player the United States have at their disposal. Maybe you could argue Anthony Robinson, but I think it's just between those two guys. Brian Reynolds, I have him on the list, but I don't think he has a shot. He's a young guy. He's an exciting right back, another right back prospect from FC Dallas, but I think he's going to miss out. I think if we had to order it, it goes Dest, Yedlin, Cannon, Moore, Reynolds, if I had to rank it anyway. But I think Dest and Can- Yedlin are pretty much locks to go. Center back. Uh, here are some of the names I have. I have nine names. It's the most names I have on any position. Hold on, let me take a sip of water. 
But at center back, we have John Brooks, Aaron Long, Matt M- Mark McKenzie, Matt Miazga, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, Miles Robinson, James Sands, and Walker Zimmerman. I think John Brooks is a lock. If John Brooks can stay healthy, he has a whole lot more caps than what he has right now, but he's already the guaranteed number one guy for the United States at center back. That's been the, the fact for the past few years. Next to him has changed over the years. From, if you ask me two years ago, even last year, I would say Aaron Long was the next guy next to him. Or the guy next to him. But Aaron Long tore his Achilles, and even without the tearing Achilles, he can't stay healthy regardless. And there's been other guys that have played better than him recently. And I think the three other guys that join him are two MLS guys. And if you knew the, know your teams, <laughs> I don't. Aaron Long's an MLS guy. He ain't going. There's only three more left. And there's two of them. I think two are way more obvious than the last one. Okay. I think the two that are going are Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. Walker Zimmerman just got his back second straight MLS Defender of the Year award. He was named the MLS Best 11. Greg Berhalter went from not really playing him that much to being one of the leaders on the team and being rotation of the captaincy. He's not the most athletic. He's not the fastest, but he will never back down from anybody. He'll step into all the challenges. He'll leal at the back, which is what the United States will want. I'm not saying he'll start. I think Miles Robinson will start. Because Miles Robinson offers a whole hell of a lot more athleticism from the back. And when you have guys tracking back, you saw this in the Gold Cup after Zimmerman got hurt with James Sands playing next to Robinson. Robinson had to cover for Sands about 75% of the time. Sands would get beat. Robinson would track back and cut the defender off right before he had a chance to get a shot off. Robinson has played awesome in the United States. He got a yellow, was it red, straight red? Or multiple yellow cards and got a red against Mexico. So missed the next World Cup qualifier. Could have helped. Maybe, but the United States had a lot of people not play that game. But I think he's the starter. And then the next one, I think, is between Chris Richards and Mark McKenzie. And I look at McKenzie's performance against Mexico in the Nations League final, and I'm taking Richards. I think Richards is a better overall center back than Mark McKenzie. And I think that well, they're about the same athletically, but I think I trust Mark, uh, Chris Richards more than McKenzie. And I know Tim Ream is also on this list. I think he's very valuable because of the fact he can play left and center back, left back and center back. And Burhalter trusts him a lot. And managerial trust is something big that we'll look at throughout the rest of this list. And he's he's the older, elder statesman on the team. Doesn't have the most caps, but he's the elder statesman on the United States team. And I think he has a real shot of going. I just think he'll miss out. And James Sands, I think, works really good in the back three. I don't know if it works 100% in the back two. We saw it a couple times in the Gold Cup where after Zimmerman got hurt, like we said before, Robinson had to trek back for him. Sands does really good in that back three being that central center back because it allows him to have a wide range of passes. I think he might be, this might be controversial, I think he might be the best passer of the ball the United States has or have the widest range of passes that the United States have. And playing as that deep center, the middle center back in the back three, he really has a chance to show that. Matt Miazga, I just think his time's gone. He's a very meme player. He's a big shit house, which is what we love to see from soccer players. But he ain't really going, I don't think, anyways. Left back, again, Tim Ream will be in the mention for there, but I think it'll be George Bellow and Anthony Robinson. Robinson's starting spot's nailed on, unless Burhalter wants to go crazy and put Dest at left back and Yedlin at right back, which he has done before. I think Robinson's the most athletic back the United States have. And his bombing runs forward have always been a positive thing for the United States. He scored the first goal in that 4-1 comeback win against Honduras, which was a beautiful goal. 
he's locked in. I think you're really looking at Vines versus Bello, and I know Vines played more in the Gold Cup, but I think Bello will fit Burhalter's style more than Sam Vines will. Sam Vines is a nice player, scored a goal in the Gold Cup, again, started a few games in the Gold Cup, but Bello has more ability to go forward. Vines is a better defender, but Bello going forward is a whole hell of a lot better. I would take Bello, and we're just talking about scheme for Burhalter. I think Bello fits that scheme more than what Sam Vines does. So I'm going to take Bello at left back. And then defensive midfield, I think this one's fairly easy. I think it's be- it's Tyler Adams killing Acosta. I think that's fairly simple. <laughs> I mean, again, arguments can be made for James Sands, but I'm going to stick with Acosta and Adams. Adams is the leader, one of the leaders of the team. He doesn't do a lot of flashy things, but he never puts a foot wrong for the United States. And you could even argue that at RB Leipzig as well. Dude's all over the pitch because every, every single blade of grass sits in the middle of the deep, middle of the midfield, and just bosses it. He's a natural leader, and he's one of the first names off the team on the team sheet, if not the first name on the team sheet. And then Kellen Acosta, versatile player, I think might be the best set piece taker the United States has next to Gianluca Busio or someone like that, which I think will be very vital. I hope <laughs> that if in the squad, if he's in it, of course. Sebastian Legette doesn't take free kicks because we saw that in the Gold Cup. It didn't work. We were yelling about Kellen Acosta taking set pieces for the United States the entire Gold Cup, and the one or two times he did led to a goal. The, the winning goal against Mexico was a set piece taken by Kellen Acosta, found the head of Miles Robinson, and won the game. Like, Kellen Acosta was one of my favorite players during the, the weird period for the United States when they missed the World Cup, where, or even a little bit before that, when he was playing for FC Dallas, he's one of the players that was getting a lot of recognition for the United States, then went to Colorado and never never really heard of him again. Until recently, and Burhalter's put him in, and I really like Kellen Acosta. And like Miazga, he's a giant shithouse, which is a beautiful thing to say. For you, for people that don't understand, being a shithouse is the guy that's always in the player's faces, the other, the opposing team's face. He's trying to get in people's heads. He's like the Draymond Green of the team, pretty much, or Dennis Rodman. Like that guy. He's always going to be right in the face of the player. He's going to be distracting things, causing mayhem. That's what I want Kellen Acosta to do, and I love him for that. <laughs> and we're talking about central midfielders. We got eight people here. We got Gianluca Busio, Luca Del Torre, De La Torre, Julian Green, who's got his way back in the United States team somehow, got promoted this season with Gerther Firth, Firth in the Bundesliga. So he's playing up at the Bundesliga now, so congratulations to him. Then we got Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Jonas Musa, Christian Roldan, and Eric Williamson. And I think there's three locks here. I think Legette, McKinney, and Musa are all locks. McKinney and Musa, basically, you don't need me to tell you why they're locks. McKinney is, like Tyler Adams, one of the first names on the team sheet. Loves moving forward for the United States, but he can play all those three positions in the midfield. Can even play out wide if need be. Did that under Andrea Pirlo last year at Juventus. Uh, Musa plays on the wing for Valencia on the right wing, but plays really well in the United States system as a midfield three with McKinney and Tyler Adams. He's a tireless runner, which allows McKinney to move up a lot more. McKinney's more of the box-to-box. Jonas Musa will just do everywhere. <laughs> He's very athletic, very fast player, young player, 19 years old, and already one of the key players for the United States. For legit older player, not going to start, but he's a guy Burhalter really trusts. He will be all over the field. He can play anywhere on the field, whether it's in the midfield, out wide, or even as a false nine, which he has done one or two times for the United States. He will be in the squad almost guaranteed. I'm willing to put money on that. He's not the greatest player of all time, but he's a guy that you can trust 
with everything. Could you name one thing he does really well? No. But he does everything decent, which is what you need some of those guys on the squad. And the final one is Christian Roldan. He's one of the players you bring on last, and he'll see out a game. He's a leader. He was the named captain of the MLS All-Star team, which had a lot of really big-name players on the team, which is kind of surprising that he was named captain. And you've seen him in the Gold Cup come in late, control the ball, take the ball off defenders, do whatever. He'll do whatever it takes to make sure his team holds on to a win. He'll do everything. It doesn't really matter what his role is. He will do whatever need he needs for a team to win. And I, I kind of flip back and forth between him and Busio, who, as a sporting Kansas City fan, I would love to see Gianluca Busio in the squad. But I think Roldan will make it just above because I think he's one of those late-game guys that can go in and just see out a game. And Busio, I think, is more versatile. I think Busio is a way better free kick taker or just set-piece taker than Roldan. But I think Burhalter will trust Roldan in situations like that. Busio is still really young, which isn't a, shouldn't be a bash on Busio. And I think he really has a shot to make it because he's playing really well for Venezia right now. Just right now, I think he would pick Roldan. I really think he would pick Roldan for the goal, for the World Cup. Wingers, there's about nine players on here as well. We got Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Conrad De La Fuente, Nicholas Giacchini, Matthew Hoppe, Jordan Morris, Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reyna, and Timothy Weah. Three locks, much like midfield. Aronson, Pulisic, Reyna. I mean, Pulisic's the best player. <laughs> Reyna, for being 18, 19 years old, is one of the more vocal players on the team. Will always talk shit with the opposing team. Can play in the midfield or out wide. Aronson has an insane spark off the bench. He started the past two World Cup qualifier games, and he can start, and I would love him to start, but his impact that he has when he comes off the bench is second to none for the United States, and he is one of those key players on the team that, though he might not be in the starting lineup, will make an appearance throughout the game. He'll probably come in around the 60th, 65th minute or something like that and make an impact. That's just what he does. He more naturally plays in the midfield, similarly with Giovanni Reyna, but on the wing for the United States, especially on that left wing, is insane. And him and Pulisic rotating at that left wing spot is a very, very, very fun prospect to have. And then the final spot, I think it's between two guys, really. Tim Weah and Paul Areola. Areola is one of those players, like we mentioned with Legette and Tim Ream, where he's a guy Burhalter really trusts. He plays, he's played, I think, the second or the most minutes under Burhalter next to Sebastian Legette. Was co-captain with Legette for the Gold Cup, and I guess Walker's in remember before he got hurt. But I'm going to take Weah. If we're just going off the back of what he can provide to the team, Areola is a lot safer but Tim Weah can provide you a lot more. He's quicker. He's a more natural finisher than Paul Ariola is. He can pass the ball really well. He's a natural striker, but plays as the right wing spot for the United States and has done really, really well. He's the best player for the United States in the last recent World Cup qualifiers. Like you could argue some other players, but in my opinion, Tim Weah was the best player against Mexico and Jamaica. And they didn't play very well against Jamaica. I'm talking about the team. Tim Weah played well. <laughs> the team did not play very well. And like Burhalter said, a draw is a good result against Jamaica because they played awful. But Tim Weah was with a lone bright spot in that game next to like Brendan Aronson. And then forward, the weakest spot on the United States roster. I think the two people he will choose are Ricardo Pepe and Jayassi Zardes. I think Zardes, starting with him, is the most complete forward the United States has. Because I think if you're com com a combination of goal scoring, assisting, work rate, that's what Jayassi's art is. He'll never do anything flashy. He won't have the highest goal scoring rate of all time. But he'll score some crucial goals. He's a selfless player. 
do whatever it takes for a team to win. And that's why I think he is basically a lock. And he's been one of Greg Berhalter's favorite players. Like ever since Berhalter's been the manager of the United States, Jayassi Zardes has donned the number nine jersey. Like this dude is pretty much always in the squad when Berhalter's been manager. There's obviously been odd cases, but that also comes with scheduling with the MLS and stuff like that. But he's going to be on this team. And then Pepe, I, re- I just can't see him not being on here. The dude's 18 years old and starting World Cup qualifiers and scoring key goals. He scored the winning goal against Honduras. He scored both goals. I think it was against Jamaica or Costa Rica. I can't remember exactly. He scored three goals in six games to the U.S. He's starting World Cup qualifiers 18 years old. Like The trajectory he is at, I refuse to believe he won't be in the squad. Now, I think someone like Jordan Siabachu or Jordan Pifuk, whatever you want to call him, he will be in the mention here. I think he's the most hard done by not to be in the squad. Josh Sargent, he's a worker. Like, he'll run all over the field, but he does not score. It's just something that bothers everybody about Josh Sargent. He just can't score. Just, <laughs> just seems to be a thing with him. But he'll run all over the place. Uh, Daryl DK, he's got probably the uh, – he does – he's got the biggest – what do you want to call it? He's just the biggest striker they have. <laughs> he provides something different for the United States in regards to speed, weight, strength. That's what you need. Daryl DK is your guy. I just don't think for the United States side, he's consistent enough scoring to make it into this squad. And then I have like Josie Altador on here and Jesus Ferreira. Josie's not making it, but he'll be in the conversation. And then Jesus Ferreira, I like him. Scored two goals and four appearances for the United States, but I don't, I really don't think he'll be in the squad, but he'll be in the mentions here. So your World Cup, 2022 World Cup squad reads as follows. We got Matt Turner, Zach Steph, and Ethan Horvath. Then we got Sergio Dest and DeAndre Yedlin. Chris Richards, Walker Zimmerman, John Brooks, and Miles Robinson. Then Jordan Be- George Bello and Anthony Robinson. Then Kellen Acosta and Tyler Adams. And in midfield, we got Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Jonas Musa, and Christian Roldan. Wingers, we got Brendan Aronson, Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reyna, Timothy Weah. And then at striker, we have Jor- Jayassi Zardes and Ricardo Pepe. And then we're talking about captain. I would give the, I think it's between two people. I had McKinney in there. I had Stefan in there, but McKinney with the whole situation he had in September and Stefan not being possibly not being the starter is between Adams and Pulisic. Adams is not as in your face or as bashful or as boastful as Christian Pulisic is, but he gets the job done. Like we said earlier, he's a tireless worker will make covers every inch of grass on the field and will be that leader for the United States. Pulisic's the emotional leader. Pulisic will step up for big occasions. Pulisic will be the face of the team. His name's already Captain America. And when you think of captain performances, you think of the Nation League final against Mexico. That's a captain's performance right there. And I give Pulisic the slight edge, I think is like 51% to 49% favor of Pulisic. It's right there. I Either way, I'm cool with it, but I'm going to give the edge to Christian Pulisic. Just. And so you're starting 11 for the United States. It reads, Zach Steffen or Matt Turner. Serginio Dest at right back, Miles Robinson and John Brooks at center back, Anthony Robinson at left back, Tyler Adams is a holding midfielder with Jonas Musa and Weston McKinney in front of him. Then we've got Giovanni Reyna at right wing, Christian Pulisic at left wing, and Ricardo Pepe at striker. I, that one could be 50-50. Jayassi Zard is a Ricardo Pepe. Yeah, that's my team. And players who just missed out on the squad, I'm sorry, Deshaun Johnson to Reggie Cannon to Shaq Moore, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, James Sands, Sam Vines, Gianluca Busio, Paul Ariola, Conrad De La Fuente, Jordan Morris, who's coming off of injuries with Seattle, 
Daryl DK, Jordan P. Fuck, and Josh Sargent. I am very sorry to you guys on missing out on the squad, but you have been key contributors to the United States in the past, and I hope that continues into the future. So with that being said, that is all I've got for you today. I truly hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I can only apologize about that. Uh, let me know if you see me in person or text me or whatever what your World Cup 2022 squad looks like if the United States make it, of course, because nothing's guaranteed at this point, especially since they missed the 2018 one. I would not rule out them missing this one as well, even though they sit second in the standings right now behind Canada. That being said, I'm being an optimist, and I'm going to say they make it at this time. Knock on wood, of course. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Again, make sure you go and follow me on all forms of social media. You can just rewind to the start of the show to hear those. Go check out the blog post. It will be posted on all forms of social media, so make sure you post on, stay touch on that. And you can just go to theloganblattmanshow.com and go to the blog post there. Greatly appreciate it. Wherever you go and find it, do it, I guess. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Have a good weekend. Hopefully Iowa upsets Michigan this week. Cheering for Aiden Hutchinson, though. Would love to see him win the Heisman Trophy. And I will see you all later. Peace.